Hello and welcome to Connected, episode 220. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. We are without Mike today, so you and I can do what we've wanted to do for years and talk about the Mac the whole time. Finally, we can talk about real computers for real work, uh, because all those iPad discussions that we do when Mike is around is all pretend. Our secret nature is to be (laughs) pro-Mac users, and this is the true form of connected, (laughs) and uh, Mike is not coming back. Unfortunately, uh, Mike is done with the broadcast. So, uh, thank you for your service, Mike. Uh, this is our new show about real computers. <laughs> well, this real show is brought to you by our sponsors, Linode, Luna Display, and Smile. Before we get to the Mac Mini, we have to deal with some some follow up, Federico. We have some follow up uh, right at the beginning, uh, where it should be. Right, that's right. <laughs> I was so furious when it was at the end. Listener Matt has done us the solid and registered homepodcolo.com. So that is uh, your HomePod co-location company we discussed. That yes. link has been directed to the HomePod tag on Mac Stories, which I think is a nice, it's a nice touch. It's a temporary um, location, of course, uh, yeah. as we're putting the finishing touches on our uh, HomePod Colo uh, service. Um, we are, in fact, finalizing the details. Uh, we are uh, the, the way that the company is going to operate, essentially, is we're going to have our John Voorhees uh, go to each user's house and install the HomePods himself. So uh, we're just finalizing the details of the five clients we have, uh, we have so far. Um, it's going well, and you're the first client, Stephen. Uh, in case you don't know, uh, well, my uh, I did actually buy a new HomePod uh, for a hundred dollars off. I know <laughs> it's over, it's still in the box. I haven't this week has been nuts, and I haven't unboxed it yet. But it is here, and um, I guess I'll wait for John to show up to plug it in for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how how many do you have now? Two, two HomePods. Two two HomePods. No, they're not a, st- a stereo pair because one's in the kitchen okay. in the house and one is out here with me in the studio. There may be room for a third in our bedroom because we have an, an echo there, but uh, I think uh, I think two will do it for now. Um, the, man, the Best Buy deal went quick. I saw it pretty early. And the the black ones are already sold out, so I have another white one, um, which is fine. I, I think both colors look nice in their own way. I kind of wanted a dark one for out here, but I got a, a light one, and uh, I will uh, get it set up hopefully this afternoon. I'm in the midst of a little mm, mm. studio renovation, uh, mm. which is a nice way to say I ran out of space and needed more shelves, and so it's um, everything's kind of piled up in the middle of the floor. It's a mess. Um. I think $100 off is probably the right price for the HomePod, considering that, functionally speaking, is more limited than, you know, what yeah. you can get with the Google when, with the Echo. And I wanted to say two things. Um, first one is, uh, at least in Italy, this holiday season, so uh, leading up to Black Friday and now, I guess, until Christmas, both Google and Amazon have really stepped up their game in terms of commercials on TV. Like, uh, the both the Google Home and the Echo are now officially available in Italy. Um, and I also discovered, by the way, that Amazon... Um, is preventing existing users of the Echo, like me, who bought a US one, uh, from setting it up in Italian. So if you have an original US Echo, you cannot use the Italian language with it. Mm. Uh, 
but they're really going for it in terms of commercials, both Google and the Echo. They're both using uh, celebrities in their commercials, which, uh, I mean, uh, does not surprise me because th that kind of commercial always works with the Italian audience. Uh, but I see them every few minutes on TV, basically. Um, and the second comment that I had... Um, we had a small gathering for Thanksgiving. Uh, we had uh, were a total of nine people for dinner. And when I put on some music, basically everybody commented on the great quality of the HomePod. Like everybody wanted to know what kind of speaker it was. Um, I guess they were like everybody was used to the to the speaker that I had before because I used to like show off you know the the echo and all the commands that you could issue and so I think they remembered the sound quality of the echo and they were surprised by how much better the HomePod was sounding so I I thought that was interesting yeah that's that's pretty cool that people would people <laughs> people would notice uh, I think too people I think I mean the second you interact with it it's clear that it's not an echo and it looks different. Like it has a design all into itself. I don't think anything else really looks quite the way it does. So, uh, plus at your house, when there's like six of them, you know, people, people are going to mm -hmm. have questions. I mean, you're going to notice them. It's like a wall of, of speakers. So it's, uh, it's impossible <laughs> to miss them. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, do we have more follow-ups even? We do. We do have some more follow-up. Uh, up next, um, talking about the power pick picture frame. We spoke about this last week and I think, most of us mocked it. Uh, Derek on Twitter uh, had a point that if you put it on your nightstand, your phone is only in it when you're sleeping. But for the other 66% of the time, you have a nice picture frame on your nightstand and not an ugly charger. This is a good point. I'm not sure we talked about it. Uh, I have two problems with it, though. One, I still think the whole idea is sort of silly. But like, I, don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I end up reaching for my phone sort of like when I'm half awake. And I probably shouldn't, but I do. And I feel like if it's leaning up against this power pick thing, it just is a, a big risk of me dropping it. I, I like that my <laughs> phone charges uh, while it's laying down. In fact, our friends at Studio Neat just announced a new version of their material dock that includes wireless charging. And I'm excited to, to pick one of those up because, again, the phone can be laying down horizontally. For some, for some reason, that just makes me feel like it's, a, it's like safer to pick it up in the middle of the night or something so mm. uh, I, I'm, mm. I'm still not on board with this product but derek i think had a good point also yeah. derek assumes that you know we're all sleeping eight hours a night which like that'd be pretty nice oh, I'm, I'm i pretty, wish <laughs> i'm pretty close to that most nights i know you're probably not mm. but mm. not lately yeah. yeah well you're busy uh you know wiring mac minis and and it's all in home pods you got you got stuff to do man no, it's a lot of cables to manage. You got um, a business to start. I, I have, <laughs> I have one of those um, Samsung uh, wireless chargers that are not like it's it's an upright um, type of charger, uh, like the iPhone rests vertically on it. Um, but it makes me like it doesn't make me uncomfortable because I have the same problem as you. I tend to reach out for my phone when I'm half awake. Uh, but it's got this um, rubber uh, material on it that's really grippy, and so I never accidentally like bumped into the phone with my hand when I was not paying attention and dropped the phone because it's it's kind of sticky actually. Like it's really really like there's a circle of rubber <laughs> all across the the stand. Um, and I'm, but I'm getting this new one for uh, for my desk. Uh, actually, the the UPS guy was supposed to show up today, and it didn't show up, so I'm getting concerned here. Um, 
I bought this charger that I saw in one of Jonathan Morrison's videos. Uh, it's, a, it's called Union something. Oh man, I'm terrible with brand names. Uh, it's not it's not Union City. I, I don't know why I'm thinking of Union City, but it, there's <laughs> Union in the name. And but it's it looks really cool. Like it's got this gray and black texture, and it looks like a flat ring, essentially, like a flat circle that you drop on your desk and you put the phone on top of it. Um, so I'm expanding the the wireless charging situation over here, but also I think I remember that a couple of months ago. I want to say Logitech or Belkin, one of those two, announced this crazy expensive wireless charger that they were going to release in December. And I'm going to find a link for it and I'm going to send it to you, Stephen, okay. uh, so that you can also put this link in the show notes. Where can people find the show notes, uh, Stephen? You're going to want to uh, get out some sort of computing device, a laptop or an iPad or an iPod Touch, and you want to go to a browser... And you're going to point that browser at uh, this URL, relay.fm slash connected slash 220. And at the end, you want to use numbers. You don't want to spell that out. You want to do 220, 220. And uh, you'll find some some links. So there's HomePod Colo, a, now a bunch of wireless chargers, and uh, some <laughs> more stuff we'll talk about here in a second. It's called Native Union. So not, not Union City. Native <laughs> Union. Know. I don't know what Union City is. It's in uh, Tennessee, actually. Uh, it's like the in my state. It's pretty good. So uh, maybe I was thinking of that. Uh, I don't know. My subconscious does weird things sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to have this soon. Uh, like, I wanted to have it today so that I could talk about it on the show. Uh, it's a 10-watt charger. So it, in theory, it should be supporting the faster charging uh, for... Uh, for wireless charging on the iPhone, uh, but we'll, I guess we'll follow up on this in the next episode because my UPS friend is not here. So mm. He stopped at the bakery too soon. Yeah. We announced this over the weekend, but I didn't did want to share with the connected audience directly uh, that I will be joining Mac Power users starting in January. Yay! Uh, Katie Floyd, who has been co-host with David Sparks, that show is nine years old. It's, it's amazing. Like 450 episodes. It is just a... Uh, an institution of a show. Katie has uh, some in real life stuff she's going to go do. Uh, and so she's stepping away from Mac Power Users. And they asked me uh, to come on and fill her shoes, which is a huge honor. I'm sure like many of our listeners, MPU was one of the very first, one of the very first podcasts I ever listened to, uh, honestly, uh, way back in the day. And it is, a, it's a real, it's a real treat to be able to, uh, to join, so uh, that doesn't change anything for Connected. Uh, I will continue to be on Connected each and every week, uh, but I will also be on Mac Power Users uh, Sunday evenings with David Sparks, who is like just a true nerd hero of mine. I said that on Twitter, and I really, I really meant it. So yeah, that's exciting. We've been we've been playing this for a little while, and it's fun to be able to finally talk about it. This is incredible news, and I'm very happy for you. It makes perfect sense to like it's it's kind of perfect to have you uh, be on the you know, on on the sort of new generation of Mac Power users, I couldn't think of anyone better. The, you know, it's a this show is an institution, as you say, and uh, I know that it's a huge responsibility for you. But I know that you're going you're going to be perfect for this, and you're gonna love it. and And I think people are gonna love what sort of your perspective, um, because I think what what makes um, what you do unique, Stephen, is that you know Apple's past, but you're not one of those people that is stuck on like old ideas 
or old workflows. Like mm. you know everything about everything about you know old Apple computers and old Apple software, but you always you always like to try new things. You're n- you're still open to experimentation, which is not something that you can say about a lot of Mac nerds. So. I think that perspective is valuable and I cannot wait to see what you do on your first episode and beyond. Thanks, man. That, that, means, that means a lot to me. Uh, I, do have, I do have a tiny topic for you. Uh, okay. Th- this is a topic that is not quite a real topic. No, no, no it's not quite not tiny considering what you bought. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the subject of it can be as big as it needs to be. Oh, okay. But the, t- okay. the topic on the show is small. <laughs> and that is, uh, that's washing machines. So I need to tell you about my Thanksgiving we did the show last Wednesday. I got the show up. I went to a Thanksgiving thing Wednesday night. We saw family all day on Thursday. We come home Thursday night. And it's like, oh, let's go do a couple loads of laundry, you know, because the weekend was going to be busy. And uh, we discovered that the washing machine no longer spins or agitates or does anything it's supposed Ooh, to do. Oh, no. Bad sign. And this washing machine. Federico, what year were you born in? Uh, 1988. Okay. This washing machine is only was only one year younger than you. I wow, had, seriously? It was yeah. still working? Yes. So I have taken oh my it God. apart several times over the years in increasing frequency to keep it keep it running. Uh, turns out I know a lot now about washing machine repair. So if podcasting ever goes away, I have a backup. But it, it, it was kind of at a point where it, what it needs now is too expensive to put in something uh, that old. And the next morning was going to be Black Friday, which means lots of places have lots of sales, of course, including appliances. And so I started what ended up being a very long Thursday night into Friday morning, like research binge on what washing machine we should buy. Because I, I think like a lot of our listeners, I don't like going into big purchases uninformed, right? Like I want to, I want to read reviews. I want to see roundups. I want to uh, see what people actually think about them. So we settled on a washing machine. We ended up getting the matching dryer sort of as, as a, as a, as a bonus because we got such a good deal on Black Friday. But what I quickly discovered, and, and I promise you I was unaware of this. Like when I saw this, it I just I was like, what is happening? There are a whole bunch of washing machine and dryers, and it turns out a lot more home appliances like hot water heaters and ovens and stoves that have the Amazon Echo Voice Assistant built in. It's like it's like, what is happening? You know, I thought that this was a thing that people talked about at CES, but then wasn't actually real. But it turns out I could drive to my Lowe's or Home Depot and buy a washing machine with the Amazon Echo Voice Assistant built in. And it does a bunch of stuff. So depending on what you get, you can do things like remote start. So you could tell the Echo to, hey, start my washing machine, start the dryer. You can ask how much time is left on a cycle. So like, how, oh, how that's much longer, useful. Yeah, that is actually genuinely useful, I think. Like, oh, how much longer does the dryer have? Especially if you're like out running errands, right? And you can you can trigger this from your, your car or your phone. And then if you have like a smart hot water heater or an oven, like they basically like can just do smart stuff with your voice. So start the oven, uh, turn down the hot water heater. Like if you're going on vacation, you don't need it running full tilt, all that sort of stuff. Uh which I find pretty interesting as a nerd, right? Like, oh, okay, this stuff is sort of merging. But I ultimately did not buy a smart washing machine. And I want, I want to see if you think my reasoning was sound. Mm-hmm. My thought is appliances like this, like a washer and dryer, should last a decade or more, right? Like the ones I bought have a 10-year warranty on them. So they were at least, at, least, at least a decade under warranty. And if my last set was any indication, they'll last a really long time. And I, I hope that's true. But I felt like, could I use the Amazon voice assistant on this washing machine mm-hmm. five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? 
I just don't see that being possible. I think the technology will continue to evolve and those old APIs and stuff will just be, you know, deprecated and, and gone. And then like I'll have all this complication in my washing machine that I can't do anything with. Uh, so I didn't do it. But I just I wonder, like, wh- what do you think about that? Because it set me off on this like train of thought of like all this voice stuff, all this smart home stuff I have now. Like, what's the longevity of it all? Do you, have, do you ever mm. think about that sort of thing? No, no, I totally agree with your position on this. Um, I have um, m- my stance on this, on these, uh, you know, API-enabled appliances is I try not to buy appliances that are heavily software-based because the moment you buy uh, an appliance that is heavily, um, you know, reliant on software, you introduce dependencies in the in the product that you're going to need to use for like a decade. And I was really hesitant when we were buying a dryer to buy one with a display because the display is software and I don't trust software to be as reliable as, uh, I don't know, a rotary dial made of plastic. Um, I was really hesitant when I was buying uh, an OLED TV last year uh, because it was heavily based on webOS uh, but unfortunately when it comes to TVs we're now at the point where every TV is a smart TV unless you want to buy a monitor but then you're going to have to buy a decoder for the digital TV anyway so um, I, I was not able to avoid that but I agree with you like when the moment comes that I need to buy a new oven or a new fridge, I'm not going to buy a smart one because I don't trust the software to live as long as the actual materials uh, of the fridge or the oven. And yes, most appliances have their own software, but they don't depend on a cloud-based API. And you never know what's going to happen. You never know if Amazon decides, well, now we don't do the Echo anymore, and suddenly you have a half-functioning dryer or washing machine that you know when you tap on the menu it does nothing or gives you an error or you just paid an extra for a feature that is not going to be available anymore in five years or something so i don't mean to sound like an old person because i don't think i am i actually like i try to buy smart appliances when they make sense and if they can be easily replaced so lights are fine um i have a small air purifier that's fine i don't want to buy something as essential as a fridge or a washing machine or a dryer that is advertised as a smart one where that smart component could be easily outdated in five years also, I don't want to think about software updates for my fridge. I don't want to think <laughs> about the idea of, well, connect a USB cable to, to your washing machine and update its firmware. Like, okay, some people like to do that, but I don't. And um, I agree with your take on this, and I think you made the right decision. So yeah, we, I guess I don't think I'm going to do a bunch of follow-up about my appliances, but they're back there, and they're not smart, and that's the way that I like them. Yeah, good choice. All right, we're going to get to some topics here. But first, I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at just $5 a month. And you can be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community. They know how important it is to get the help that you need, and they have a suite of amazing guides and support documentation to give you a reference when you need it. 
Linode's intuitive control panel allows you to deploy, boot, resize, snapshot, or clone your virtual server in just a few clicks. And they feature two-factor authentication to keep you and your information safe. Linode is great for tasks like hosting large databases, running a mail server, operating a VPN, hosting Docker containers, private Git servers, and so much more. And they're hiring. So it sounds like a cool company. Go to linode.com slash careers. Now, Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Their plans start at one gig of RAM for only $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting at 16 gigs of memory. Now, as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash connected, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll get $20 toward any Linode plan. If you go with that one gig plan, some quick math tells me that's four free months. And there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash connected to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use the promo code CONNECTED2018 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show and Relay FM. We promised this, uh, that we were going to get into our Mac minis. Both you and I have uh, have purchased new Macs, and I think I thought we could talk about the hardware we each have and how we're using the hardware, and then we'll talk about okay. software stuff. Does that sound good to you? All right. Yes. Let's okay. do it. Um, so I ended up with the 3 gigahertz i5, 16 gigabytes of RAM, 256 gig uh, SSD Mac mini. So pretty much like middle of the road. Uh, it replaced a 2011 model that I had. Uh, I think long-time listeners know I use a Mac Mini as an entertainment uh, in my entertainment center. It's actually under my TV on a shelf, and it serves basically as a home server. So it's not a workstation for me. I don't sit down in my Mac Mini to work. Uh, but it is connected to a Drobo 5D via a Thunderbolt 2, Thunderbolt 3 adapter. So the Drobo is Thunderbolt 2. So that adapter is a little pricey and kind of bulky, but uh, it seems to be working just fine. I have an Apple USB Super Drive hooked up for the rare time uh, the kids want to watch something that's on DVD or I want to rip something. That has gone months without being used. <laughs> it, it's just collecting dust really mm-hmm. at this point. So I guess I'm never going to see that in space gray. So it's like bright silver in the <laughs> mini space gray. <laughs> Uh, and it's hooked up to our HDMI television. Uh, it's a 1080p panel. I've had it for years and years. Um, and uh, it all just works. So uh, the the TV's there, the Mac Mini's there, the Drobo's there. I was a little nervous about losing the IR port on paper, but in reality, like the Apple TV is our main interface to the television. I wasn't actually using the infrared remote for the Mac Mini in years. So I sort of like, as soon as I thought through it, I was like, oh, that's not a big loss for me. Uh, and it seems a lot quieter under load. So like in the entertainment center, again, it's kind of hard to be close to it, but it seems like if I put it under a heavy workload that the new cooling does a really nice job of keeping things nice and quiet. So that's, that's kind of what I have and what I have hooked up to it. Um, but I think yours is probably far more interesting. So, um, I got a 3.2 gigahertz uh, Core i7 with 16 gigs of RAM and also 256 uh, gigs of storage. Um, so this Mac Mini is on this new desk that I got at IKEA. It's a, I think it's a Besta um, desk. It's a white one, and it's connected to the LG Ultrafine 4K display. Um, it's connected via a single USB-C cable uh, that. It's basically runs, you know, from the, the Mac Mini is right next to the display. So it's a very compact uh, setup. Um, about the display, I wanted to say that um, 
I don't love it, like the way that it looks around it. The bezels are ugly, and I so wish that Apple would make an actual display. I think the the last thing we know is that they said a few months ago that they were going to make a display for the Mac Pro modular system in 2019. Um, my dream that I actually like, mm-hmm. I, I shared this on Mac Stories a few days ago. I want Apple to make a display that accepts two kinds of input. So I want a, the same display. I want it to be able to support uh, Thunderbolt 3 for um, for Max, but also USB-C input for the iPad Pro. Um, I don't think that such a display exists right now, like a single 4K or 5K display that accepts two kinds of inputs. Uh, but if Apple were to make one, I would be surprised if they would make one that is not compatible at all with the, with the iPad, especially considering how they're making such a big deal that the iPad Pro can drive uh, 5K display. Anyway, um, the bezels are not great, but the display is. It's a very nice display. The colors are awesome. Um, I cannot see the pixels, of course, when I'm working uh, on the Mac. And the brightness is fantastic. Um, and I love how it can be easily adjusted. Both, uh, like, I can tilt the viewing angle, but I can also raise and lower the, the, the actual display. So when I'm working with the Mac Mini, the display is kind of low. Uh, but when I'm working with the iPad Pro, connected to the same display, um, I can raise the display so that it sits just just above the top edge of the iPad. So I got the iPad in front of me, the keyboard, and the monitor that's above the iPad. So it's it's very nice. Um, I'm not happy about the fact, and this is why I mentioned um, my dream of a display that accepts two inputs. I'm not happy about how I need to use the same cable for... um, for connecting both the Mac Mini and the iPad Pro. So what I have to do right now is when I want to use my iPad Pro, with the with the with the 4K display, I need to unplug the cable from the Mac Mini and plug it into the iPad. Um, I don't think <laughs> oh, that no. that like a splitter <laughs> type of a device exists. But yeah, that's what I have to do right now. So uh, I'm still not finished with cable management, but I've I've used some um, some like um, I don't know how to call them some some like uh, little plastic cords to hold longer cables together uh, and that USB-C cable to drive the display is the only cable that I haven't uh, managed so it's a loose cable because I need to move it right. from the Mac mini to the iPad not super happy about that but it works um, I then I got a magic keyboard and a magic trackpad because I, I needed to have a, a quiet keyboard for doing podcasts uh, I got of course both in space gray and I wanted to note how it is incredible that Apple is not making the small magic keyboard in space gray. You can only buy the space gray one with the long version with the with the number pad. Um, which I, I don't need a number pad because I'm not an accountant. I'm I mean even when I do my my taxes, I don't need a number pad. I'm not that kind of a n- numeric professional. Uh, but it's it's there, <laughs> so uh, it's there. There's nothing I can do about it. I guess they want to charge more money for this keyboard. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I mean, I've got an iMac Pro here in Space Gray, and I use the Magic Keyboard, the little one, because I also don't need a number pad, and a white Magic Trackpad and a mouse, like a, a Logitech mouse. And I would love to have all that be in Space Gray, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't work for me 
uh, with the keypad on it? Um, I mentioned the wireless charger that is not here, so uh, I need to wait for this, uh, I guess, tomorrow. Uh, but the idea is this would sit on the right side of the stand. So right now I got the Mac Mini to the left side of the st of the display stand. Uh, the H6 uh, audio interface uh, on top of the stand itself, which is like this, this uh, black square that acts as a stand for the display. And on the right side, I wanted to put the wireless charger so that I could keep the phone uh, in front of me while doing podcasts and also charging, but it's not here. Um, on the left side of the Mac Mini, there's uh, an external SSD that I bought uh, this was on sale for Black Friday. It's a 512 gig uh, SSD from Western Digital that supports USB 3.1 Gen 2 speeds. So that would be 10 gigabit per second transfers. Um, and I'm using this uh, external drive. I'm probably going to get a second one, but for now, this is the Time Machine drive for backups for my Mac Mini and Sylvia's MacBook Pro. Um, I did something horrible at first. I decided to format the drive with APFS. Um, I did not know that that format is not supported for local network, like a shared time machine backup. Um, if you want to have, have like a shared time machine drive on your local network, it appears that APFS is not supported. Um, I followed this tutorial that I found uh, from, um, by just by Googling things around. Uh, it's from last year, so I think it's accurate and it worked for me. Um, I needed to format the drive in macOS extended, uh, case-sensitive journaled for some reason, but now we have a now we have a shared time machine Ooh. drive. So uh, the my Mac Mini backs up uh, locally via USB-C, and it's fast. It's very fast. Um, I also have, I should say, a cable that I bought on Amazon. So, um, you know, I've been doing my research for USB-C because of the iPad Pro series that I'm writing on Mac Stories. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I, right. could, that I would basically upgrade all my USB-C cables to... Uh, to support the 3.1 Gen 2 spec. Uh, I did some research and I ended up buying this cable from uh, Amazon uh, UK because it was not available in Italy. Uh, but it's this... Um, it's from a company, I think they're called J5 Create. I'm just going to double check on this um, to make sure. But it's uh, it's this cable that is short, because of course these cables that support uh, face, uh, fast data transfers, they cannot be too long. So they need to be short cables, otherwise they're going to lose bandwidth and all that. Uh, so it's called the J5 Create. And the cable is the JUC X01. It's a 0.7 meter USB-C to USB-C cable that supports 3.1 Gen 2. Uh, this is the cable that runs from the Mac Mini to the Western Digital SSD. So time, my time machine is fast. Sylvia's uh, network backup is a little slower, of course, because it's going over Wi-Fi. Um, but it works. Uh, so it's doing its own incremental backups right now, and it's, everything seems fine. And finally, uh, last piece uh, of this setup that I still need to configure the way that I want it. Um, I've been testing the uh, OWC USB-C travel dock. So OWC were kind enough to send me a review unit of this product. Uh, I will, I'm going to cover this product in a future iPad Pro article uh, on Mac Stories. Uh, but this is... a um, 
one of the best uh, USB-C docks that I think you can find right now because I also bought a bunch myself on Amazon and I was not happy with them. Uh, this dock supports USB 3.1 Gen 1. So not Gen 2. Uh, OWC, they have a Gen 2 dock coming, I think, uh, that also supports uh, Thunderbolt, uh, Thunderbolt 3. This one supports Gen 1. So that would be 5 gigabit per second transfers, not 10. But it's good enough. And it's got an HDMI 2 port. It's got um, two USB 3.1 ports and one USB-C that supports power delivery. Uh, so that you can do power pass-through. Uh, it's compatible with the iPad and it's compatible with the Mac Mini. Um, I'm trying to understand if I want to use this, like always leave it on my desk. Like if I want to, um, because I'm, I'm still trying to decide um, when I'm working on the iPad Pro, do I want to work at the kitchen table or do I want to work in the corner of the bedroom where I set up this new desk? Um, so I don't know if... Um, because the, the travel dock can be used... It's, it's very small, it's very compact, and it's called the travel dock because it's, it's meant to be to travel with you. It's meant to be thrown in a bag. And when you want to use multiple USB devices uh, with a USB-C device like a MacBook or an iPad Pro, you have this dock with, you know, in your bag. Uh, but what, I, what I'm realizing now is that the mechanical keyboard <laughs> that I'm using with the iPad Pro, uh, it's a Matthias uh, keyboard, it's a, tactile, it's a mini tactile pro. It's very loud and it's bothering Sylvia. So I don't think I will be able to, <laughs> to continue typing <laughs> in the kitchen, um, which means that the travel dock will sit on my desk. I just need to figure out where. Yeah, this thing looks, this thing looks pretty nice. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's pretty cheap this week. Yep. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. But yeah, this looks awesome. Do, do, have they said when the Gen 2 one may be coming or is it just coming soon? I think it's already available, actually. Um, if you uh, enter Thunderbolt 3 Dock on their website, uh, it's very expensive, I should say. So um, it's also a powered dock. Yeah. It's got its own adapter and supports mm. 85 watt uh, power delivery via USB-C for, yeah, you know, wow. like... Um, that one supports two 4K displays or one 5K display. It supports both Thunderbolt and USB-C 3.1 Gen 2. It's, it's very, you know, it's got a lot of options and it costs a lot of money. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, the Thunderbolt stuff always makes stuff yeah. more pricey, which is a bummer. But uh, it's this kind of how the world is. So, you, so you've got a desk, you've got a Mac Mini, you have a display. That display has a double life when it's not hooked up to your Mac mini, it's hooked yeah. up to your iPad pro, uh, through a, a means that are mm. less than ideal, but I guess that is kind of, yeah. that is what it is at this point. Right. This sounds awesome. I've seen pictures of it. It looks great. Um, I know you wanted to do this for a long time, uh, but it's been a while since we talked about your desire for a Mac mini, you know, we talked about like a year ago, I feel like like a long time ago. Uh, so why this and not something like a MacBook Pro or an iMac? Hmm. So the MacBook Pro, uh, because I already have one, and I I really don't need a portable Mac. Um, I need my Mac to be the the podcasting computer essentially. So it, it needs to be it's it's a fixed machine that doesn't move from my bedroom and if I need to record somewhere else like I don't know my beach house in the summer uh we have Sylvia's MacBook Pro uh which is a 2017 one. My MacBook Pro is a 2015 one. Uh so we have a, a backup 
portable computer. And I really didn't need to have um, a, another MacBook Pro because I don't need my Mac to be portable. Uh, also, I wanted to have a bigger screen. Uh, because it's more comfortable because my you know with years pass and my eyesight is not as good as it used to be i'm already wearing glasses and i feel like if i if i can have bigger ui elements on a big display when i'm clicking things that you know that's better for me uh, to which you might reply then why not an imac because i wanted to have a modular system where i decide what i want to buy and i wanted to buy uh a display that was going to be 4K and that was going to be supported by the iPad Pro as well. Um, I just like the idea of building my own setup better than just saying, well, buy an iMac and you're done. So I wanted to buy every individual piece myself. And that was fun to do. Also kind of expensive, but it was worth it because I, I feel like I have this setup now that is flexible enough to last me for several years, I hope, because I don't want to buy another Mac. I think you'll be set. I mean, this seems like a great setup. And uh, I think all those reasons make a ton of sense to me. You know, the the iMac is great if that's all you need at your desk. It's why I have one. I really like the all-in-one deal, right? Like where all the cables go off the back. I don't have a tower under the desk or on the desk somewhere. It just really works for the way my setup is. But for your needs, the Mac Mini, I think, was, was a great choice. And I'm, I'm glad that you seem happy with the hardware that you've got. Uh, you got there, so yeah, it's uh, it's very nice. It's very cool. And also, I installed uh, the Philips U Light Strip Plus um, uh, behind my desk, so f- facing the wall, and it creates this awesome uh, lighting effect. Uh, that like, I set up some colored scenes with Siri. It's very nice, which also uh, drove me down this insane rabbit hole of. Um, <laughs> making your own uh, LED uh, light strips. It's a whole thing yeah. about oh, no. buying compatible uh, Zigbee controllers. So Zigbee is one of the uh, protocols for wireless lighting control uh, for a smart home. Um, because my problem is that when you buy the Hue Light Strip Plus, it's a two-meter strip, but I only need a uh, 120 yeah. centimeters. So I have this cutoff end of 80 centimeters of a strip that is unused. Philip says you need to, <laughs> there's nothing you can do with it. You need to throw it in the trash. Um, but there's people very courageous people who have been doing their own modifications and reusing the cutoff ends of a light strip plus to create another light strip, which means buying your own controllers and you know connecting them with uh, custom accessories that you can find online. There's a company called Lit Accessory, L-I-T Accessory, uh, that makes this um, like additional parts for modifying the Philips U light strips. My problem is that I think um, I will need to do some soldiering if I want to reuse this cutoff part. And I've never done any soldiering in my life. So I'm not sure what the solution is going to be here. I'm probably going to have to buy the parts myself and then ask my dad to do the soldiering for me. So I will also keep you posted about this because I have no idea what I'm doing. Soldering's not that bad. But yeah, you... <laughs> Maybe your first one should not be yeah. on something kind of expensive like a I, light strip. Yeah. We're going to talk about our software on the Mac Minis, but first I want to tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Connected is brought to you by our friends at Luna Display. Luna Display is the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. So you'll have a super portable second display with stunning image quality and basically zero lag. 
Setting up Linear Display is really simple. You just plug in this little hardware dongle into your Mac, and it comes uh, with USB or USB-C when you order it. And you'll just be up and running in seconds. Everything just works over your local Wi-Fi. And if you don't have access to a Wi-Fi connection, you can just connect directly via USB. It's all really simple. Loon Display also acts as a complete extension of your Mac. It supports external keyboards. It was the Apple Pencil and Touch Interactions. You can use your Apple Pencil on a Mac app. It's really cool. It basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device. So uh, they sent me one. I've got actually have the dongle right here. It is super small. You can just put it in your bag. It's not this big, bulky thing. And it, what absolutely surprised me and, and, and keeps me really happy with this product is the extremely low latency. It feels really fast. And so if you've ever like remoted into a computer, you know, you have that lag and it makes it frustrating to use. And th that just doesn't exist with the Loon display. It's all really, really smooth. I totally recommend it if this fits a need in your setup. And listeners of Connected can get an exclusive 10% off Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code CONNECTED at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com, promo code CONNECTED at checkout for 10% discount. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Okay. Okay. Software. Software makes hardware work. Oh, really? That's um, what it does? <laughs> ah. That's what it does. Yeah, it's in there and it just makes things happen. Mine, again, my Mac Mini Entertainment Center home server. So the software I'm using is all really based around that. It's not set up as a workstation. If I needed to take my iMac Pro to the shop for something, like I don't have Logic or anything installed on this Mac Mini. It's like a, a different thing. Um, so uh, I mentioned that I have that big Drobo attached to it. Uh, I'm using the Mac to manage file sharing. Uh, just the stuff that comes in uh, Mac OS Mojave just, that works for my needs. I used to have a Synology, and I, like you, sort of had a bad experience when it started to fail, and I decided that I just would rather have a Mac managing my files than than, than a NAS. And the Drobo is too loud to have at my desk here, so it's in the house. The Mac Mini is hooked up via gigabit Ethernet, as is the iMac Pro in the studio, so everything's wired. Uh, I did consider buying the 10 gig Mac Mini, and I, I, I think I'm going to kind of wish that I had done it in the future and put a 10 gigabyte switch in. But it's all gig for now, and that, that's fine. I I don't edit off the Drobo, like it's just it's like cold storage, right? So I work on a project and then it gets stored there. But because it's attached to the Mac directly, I've got Backblaze, which is a sponsor of the show and other shows here. Uh, but they have a really great online cloud backup, and one of the beautiful things about it is it will back up connected devices. And so the Drobo is just hooked up via Thunderbolt, so it is a local. Locally attached drive. So Backblaze sees it, no problems. Sometimes with the Synology, you have to jump through hoops to get a, a cloud backup service to work with it. Uh, don't have to do that with direct atta attached storage. So Backblaze is running all the time. Uh, the Drobo was actually just looking at it. I've got something like uh, like six terabytes of stuff stored on it or, or something like that. It's um, it's uh, it's pretty a pretty large chunk of data and backblaze keeps all that backed up it also so so the drobo have split up i have a share for like uh just storage and then i have a share for an, our main itunes library this itunes library is less important than it used to be because of apple music so back in the old days anything we purchased i had automatically downloaded to this itunes library as like as like the the collection like the main library 
And for music now, that's really not that important, but it still downloads any TV shows or movies we purchase via iTunes, uh, which, again, we do way less of than we used to. But sometimes, uh, especially with kids, they like to see movies over and over. It will purchase something and it's just it's just there all the time. And so that iTunes library is always running, have automatic downloads turned on. And, uh, you know, so it's sort of there as like a, a big bucket of media we can dip into if something's not on Netflix or Amazon Prime Video. Uh, and like, like I said, this machine, like it, it over the years has become less important in my setup. Really? Like if I could have a silent raid in my office, I would hook it directly to the iMac pro and probably get rid of my home server and just do everything on my workstation here. But things aren't quite there yet. And the Drobo still works really well. I'm not looking to replace it anytime soon. So I feel like the Mac mini will have at least several more years of service for me. Um, but because I have a desktop now, and I think we're going to talk about this with you, I have a Mac that's always on anyway. It's like the, the iMac Pro, I don't shut it off at night. I just let it run. And so I used to have like a lot of Dropbox and Hazel stuff running where it would watch a Dropbox folder for something and then Hazel would name it and sort it into, you know, folders. Yeah, I do I do bills and invoices and, uh, you know, bank statements, those sort of PDFs. I have a bunch of Hazel rules to deal with all that. And now that just runs on my iMac Pro on my desk instead of like the Mac Mini having to do it. And, you know, I got to wait for things to sync. It's just all all right here. So, you know, this is kind of one reason I didn't buy a nicer Mini. I really bought the i5 just for a little future proofing. And so, again, if I need to, you know, put it into service somewhere else, it was a little bit faster than that Core i3. Um but that, that's about it for me. It's really stock. There's very little data on the SSD itself. Uh, really just enough for the file sharing. Everything is stored on the Drobo. Uh, I have Time Machine set up uh, for this Mac Mini just so I have my setup. So when I set my new, new Mac Mini up, it pulled over its file sharing settings and all that stuff. Uh, but it's really clean and really basic. Like it, it's as stock as it can be for what it is. And I, I like it that way, just so if something goes wrong, it's really easy to figure out uh, what it is. Um, wh- one last thing, it's not in the notes, but it just came to mind. I run uh, a little utility called Printopia. Are you familiar with this, Federico? Yes, I've used it in the past, I think. So so what this does is, so my printer is doesn't support AirPrint, which means I can't print to it directly from an iOS device. Uh, but the printer's on the network and the Mac Mini's on the network. And Printopia is a little application that runs on macOS, and it basically allows non-AirPrint printers to work with iOS directly. So if I go to print like a PDF from my iPad, so I actually just had to do this yesterday. I had a PDF. I needed it printed. I was on my iPad. I go to print it, and that printer just shows up as if it was fancier than it actually is because Printopia is in the middle sort of negotiating everything. It's like 20 bucks. I've run this thing years and years and years across multiple versions of macOS. It's really solid. Yeah. I've never had it fail on me. I've never had like a print job get eaten by it. It's really great. And uh, so that that may actually, other than the Drobo dashboard and like um, Carbon Copy Cloner and Backblaze, like I don't have many third-party apps on this Mac Mini. This is definitely one of them. So if you have a printer that doesn't support AirPrint, it's going to be a great way to make it more useful in our iOS world. 
Um, I'm familiar with it. I used to use it when back when I used to have a MacBook Air and I had a printer and I lived in Viterbo. Uh, the printer was not compatible with Air uh, with uh, AirPrint. Is that the name? Um, and I used Printopia. Uh, that was really great. Um, I am curious about Backblaze uh, because on this Mac, I still don't have even Dropbox installed because I just access Dropbox via the web, the web browser. Uh, but I was thinking like I have a local backup on an SSD via Time Machine. I should probably also have an online one. Um, does Backblaze allow you to browse the individual files via an iOS app, maybe? Yes, mm. it does. So you can go in and restore single files uh, or download them actually directly uh, as needed. It's pretty okay. great. All right. That's awesome. All right. So um, my setup. Um, so the first thing I did, um, I set up um, a dynamic host name. Um, my uh, ISP and the modem that the my ISP provided as a built-in option in its own settings to interact with one of the, to integrate with one of the, uh, some of the most popular dynamic host names uh, providers that exist. Um, the idea would be that you get a unique domain name that um, redirects to your um, to your local IP. So I have my own domain that redirect. I I can set it up so that it redirects to individual ports uh, and devices on my network. Um, and the reason I'm using this is because I want to be able to access my Mac remotely. It's kind of like having a like a static um, IP address, but it works uh, in a slightly different way. Um, via this dynamic host name um, that is configured at a, at a network level. So it's not my Mac that is updating this host name with the new IP address, but it's my modem. Uh, I can fully control, you know, where the traffic goes and which, you know, uh, devices have access to that and, and all those details. Um, what I can do is I can uh, VNC into my Mac Mini uh, via 4G from my iPhone or iPad using screens. Um, but I also set it up for file access. So using File Browser, which is an iOS app that I wrote about on Mac Stories before, um, via 4G uh, from my iPhone or from my iPad, I can uh, log into my Mac Mini and see the file structure, see my home directory, see my downloads, see my documents, see my apps directly from iOS, uh, both on Wi-Fi when I'm the on on the local network or using a dynamic host name when I'm, you know, when I'm out and about and, and I'm on 4G. Uh, and even better, uh, using File Browser on iOS, uh, once you log into one of your um, remote computers, one of your remote servers, um, you can open the Files app, so the System Files app by Apple, and you can enable the File Browser location, and that network folder will be available as a location in Files. So any other app that wants to import a document uh, is able to is able to use the file browser location as a document provider. Um, to give you an example, a few days ago I needed to upload a CSV file uh, that I had previously downloaded uh, on my Mac Mini to a what to a website in Safari, but I was on my iPad. Uh, so what I did was I logged into my Mac Mini via file browser. And then I jumped back to Safari on my iPad and I tapped uh, on upload file and I tapped on browse and then I opened the files app and I selected the file browser and I moved the, I selected the file 
from my Mac Mini uh, for upload. And so essentially Safari on iOS used files as a middleman to deliver a, a file from my computer to the website with iOS in the middle. I thought that was really cool. Um, so on the Mac, you set this up um, uh, in the sharing preferences. You need to... Mm-hmm. So let me lo- let me double check because I need to be sure. Um, under sharing, you enable... Um, file sharing and in the options you need to i enabled both smb and afp uh, because i think uh file browser required afp uh so i enabled both and i set up access just for my user um and i also after many many years i set up a more complex and longer password because you never know um so (laughs) yeah when, when it's out there you know that's a, a more important thing. You know, when you hit it from anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I'm I'm actually really happy with this setup of uh, you know being able to um, to log into my computer from anywhere. Uh, I I never had this before because of the previous company that the ISP that we had in Viterbo years ago didn't support um, dynamic host names. So that's really cool. Mm. And then of course, I turned my attention to automation and scripting. And as you can imagine, Stephen, um, I started experimenting again with AppleScript, which is something that I used to do years ago, but with, in, with a new flavor of AppleScript, if you will, uh, which is integration with shortcuts and Siri on iOS. So oh, oh no. there's two. <laughs> what have you done? There's two. <laughs> You've created some sort of hideous monster between two very different worlds. It's a, it's a Frankenstein monster of scripting, uh, basically. Um, wow, that's that's a title fishing uh, statement. It, it's what it. it is, though. Um, so <laughs> what happens is this has two two sides of my strategy here. There's a home bridge, which is the popular utility to create like a like a home kit hub to add unsupported devices to your HomeKit configuration. And so, of course, the Mac Mini is acting as a HomeBridge server. I, I promised many months ago that I'm going to write about this eventually. I first set up HomeBridge on a Raspberry Pi, but I was, I was really not happy with its performance. It's so much better on the Mac. It's so much more stable. So, like, I never had a single issue so far. Um, so there's the HomeBridge side and there's the shortcut side. Um, so for HomeBridge, what I did, um, I set up the Mac Mini to integrate with uh, three different accessories. I installed plugins for my LG TV, my air purifier, which is now officially supported by HomeKit, and iTunes. So what I can do now is I can fully control my TV. I can switch inputs via HomeKit and therefore via Siri and therefore via shortcuts. I can um, change the level of the volume because the volume is like a fake light in HomeKit. So you can adjust the volume with individual levels. (laughs) Yeah, it's a fake light. It's called TV volume, but it's a fake light. Um, Oh my gosh. I can set the mute. I can navigate channels 
with up and down. There's two switches in HomeKit. There are channel up and channel down, and they navigate up and down in the list of channels. And then I can also open any kind of input I want. So I set up the HDMI 2, which is my Nintendo Switch, HDMI 3, which is my PlayStation, and all that. All of this is running via a WebOS plugin for Homebridge on the Mac Mini. Super stable, works really well. I needed to change a bunch of settings on my TV to enable like Wake on LAN and that type of stuff, but now it's working really great. Um, air purifier uh, again just needed to install a plugin uh, drop in some info for my uh, for this device on my local network now I can turn it on via HomeKit I can set its speed again um, the, the air purifier in this case is a natively supported type of device in HomeKit so you get like a custom icon and custom controls it's not a fake light it's an actual air purifier and then I can also uh, trigger its silent mode which is like a special mode for like if you want to leave it on at night um, finally iTunes so iTunes is based on um this Homebridge, Homebridge plugin called Apple Script File, which allows you to create home. This is wild. It allows you to create HomeKit accessories, switches, so things that can be on and can be off. That when you when you turn it on the accessory in HomeKit, it runs code from an Apple Script file. Um, so I have HomeKit accessories that can, for example, change the volume of my HomePods uh, or play specific playlists from iTunes or play specific playlists on specific HomePods or set things on Shuffle. So all the things that you can do with AppleScript in iTunes, they can become AppleScript commands that you run via Homebridge and therefore on iOS or any other Apple device via Siri and via HomeKit. This is very cool because like I set up a scene, for example, that when I trigger it, it um, dims all, my li- all the lights around the house and turns them red, uh, turns off the TV, and starts playing our favorite playlist on shuffle at a specific volume uh, through the three HomePods that we have. And this is done, of course, you need to leave iTunes running in the background on, on the Mac Mini. Uh, the display does not have to be on. You just need to leave iTunes in the background, and in iTunes you need to select, at first, not every time, um, you need to select the, the HomePods as destinations in the AirPlay menu. But that's it. Once, once it's done, it's done, uh, and it's very cool. And again, super stable, never had a single issue so far. This is just the HomeKit side. Yeah. What's the delay like on all that stuff? Like, is the... Is the iTunes side pretty fast? Like, does it respond quickly? Less than two two seconds. I would say w- one second usually. Wow. Like even even saying pause iTunes, uh, which is now a command for me in Siri, um, takes about a second. It's it's really well done. Uh, the plugin works, and this is also wild. It works by using the native iTunes remote API. So when you first register the plugin, you will need to enter a PIN code uh, via iTunes because this plugin is using the official Apple API for iTunes remotes. Um, so that, that's why it works really well. It's not like it's not just using Apple Script. I'm using Apple Script for, for some things, but it's also using this native uh, remote API for uh, for iTunes. It's uh, really really convenient. So. Right now in HomeKit, I have a mix of official HomeKit accessories, 
like my Philips Hue lights, uh, like my um, Elgato, actually not Elgato, Eve uh, sensors, but also I have some custom ones, um, iTunes, my TV, uh, you know, stuff that I set up via Homebridge, my air purifier. All of these automations, I also adapted them manually uh, to shortcuts and Siri. So there's this technology, uh, there, this command, the shell command called uh, OsaScript, and OsaScript, it lets you run Apple scripts via the terminal on the Mac. Um, Shortcuts, the Shortcuts app, um, as a native run SSH um, command action. And of course, if you put in your IP address of your Mac and your username and your password, you can use OsaScript to pass AppleScript commands to your Mac. Um, so uh, just let me look in Shortcuts for a second. Let's see. Uh, to give you an example of the commands that I set up, I have uh, wake Mac, so this wakes up the display. And of course, if you wake up the display and you have an Apple Watch, the Mac also unlocks because it's getting the wake command. Uh, sleep Mac, so puts the display to sleep. Uh, pause iTunes and play iTunes. Um, I can set some text to the clipboard of the Mac. Or let's see the more custom ones. Um, so this one uses... So I've been uh, going through the entire archive of Doug Scripts. Are you familiar with Doug Scripts, the website? Yes. So, yeah, this thing, this website is amazing yes. if you want to do automation on the There's back. Apple Scripts for everything. And there's, yeah, an entire, there's an entire <laughs> iTunes category. But not only that, there's an entire subcategory for iTunes and AirPlay devices. So yeah, it's it's, it's so amazing. Good. And I've been using that to uh yeah. to to put together and commands for changing the volume of individual AirPlay devices from shortcuts on iOS. Oh nice. What's even better and and this looks amazing to me. My shortcut has the Apple script is put together via text action. So I wrote the Apple script in a text action. But the text action as a combination of text and magic variables. So it's like this bridging these two worlds together in shortcuts of like having the Apple script but also having the variables from from shortcuts. It looks really, really good. Like visually speaking, you can see like these two worlds colliding. Um but yeah, I can change the volume of my HomePods. I, like I have templates for home uh, speakers 10%, speakers 20%, speakers 30 and so forth. Um, the longest, I have two long um, Apple script based shortcuts that I put together. Uh, one is a menu that on my iPhone and my iPad, it lets me choose um, from multiple HomePods. So I have kitchen, hallway and nightstand. Um, and it asks me, um, what kind of volume do, do you want to set for the selected HomePods? And I can do all this from iOS, but it's the Mac Mini that, of course, receives the, the code and the command and runs it because it's a, it's a home server. That's what it does. Um, and the other one is uh, it's called R Playlist Plus Mood, which is the, the shortcut that I described. It uh, runs a bunch of code, and what it does is... Uh, it changes the iTunes output to specific HomePods and a specific volume level, usually between 8 and 10, because we listen to music late at night. We don't want to disturb the neighbors. Um, right. And then it runs that code um, 
triggers the home kit scene for the you know turning off the tv and playing the playlist via itunes on shuffle and then finally it turns off the mac mini display so everything's you know TV's off, Mac Mini's off, the lights are red, we're listening to some music, we're having a good time, and it's beautiful because it runs from, I can I can run it from, with a single uh, Siri command via shortcuts. So, yes, I've spent way too much time uh, coming up with these sort of um, Mac and iOS together automations, which I think is something that I'm going to cover a bunch next year on Mac Stories because it's really fun. Putting the stories back in Mac stories, as they say. That's what I'm doing, baby. I'm putting the <laughs> Mac back in Mac stories. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I love it. Uh, finally, you're going to be happy yeah. with this. Um, I can go on and on about this stuff, but um, man, it feels good to talk about the Mac again. Um, I'm using. Uh, a custom screensaver it's the Arial screensaver uh, yes. by John Coates on GitHub it uses these screensavers that you also get on the Apple TV but you get them on the Mac and it's been updated to version 1.4 that integrates yeah, the ISS videos uh, from TVOS 12 so the beautiful International Space Station videos that you get on the Apple TV you can get them on the Mac too and they look amazing it's an amazing screensaver. I tried running it on my old Mac Mini, but it would run the fan. Oh no! <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, but most of the time, the Apple TV, like the Apple TV, is the default input on our television. Mm. Of course, I use it there, but I need to check this out again uh, because I have not, uh, I have not spent time with this in a while. So I may download this and build it again, just to, um, just to spend some time with it. And it's, uh, it's version one point four point five. So. Coming right along. It's really cool. Those new uh, ISS videos are just yeah. really amazing. You don't even have to be a space nerd to appreciate them, I yeah. don't think. So. Well, you you, uh, you are listening to believe that the Earth is a globe. You know, there's people who don't. <laughs> <laughs> At least that that's the only requirement, I think. Uh, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> um, uh, did, did I make you proud, Stephen, with this? Uh, okay. Yes. This is, you have done this in the way that I had hoped that you would. Where you are blending mm. the Mac into your environment, I was a little afraid that you were just going to buy this and it was going to be just for podcasting, and you would feel like you spent a bunch of money for something mm-hmm. that you only use a couple times a week. But I like that you're integrating it into your the rest of your stuff, and that that makes me happy because you know the iPad and Mac can get along just fine. There doesn't need to be a war between us. Yeah, so. yeah, it's true. Uh- yeah, so I will uh, keep you posted on uh, the next steps. Yeah. Yes, please do. All right, our third and final sponsor this week is Smile. This episode of Connected is brought to you by PDF Pen, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs from our friends at Smile. Using PDF Pen, you can do things like say goodbye to filing and go completely paperless with scanning and OCR, mark up and highlight PDFs, search and redact sensitive information like account numbers or, or phone numbers or things like that, correct text in PDFs even without the original and more. You can insert, remove, and reorder pages, move and adjust images, record and playback audio annotations. So if you're going through something, making notes to yourself, it's a great way to do that. Can watermark your PDFs, create fillable forms create and edit table of contents, convert websites into PDFs, uh, edit document permissions. Basically, anything you could do to a PDF, you can do it in PDF Pen. And if you are a lover of the dark mode on the Mac, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro versions 10.2 support dark mode on Mojave for 
uh, and you get smoother scrolling, faster thumbnail drawing, increased maximum zoom with this update as well. It's really great. Basically, if you deal with PDFs at all, you need PDF Pen. It can do so much more than the tools that come with your Mac. Learn more about PDF Pen and the pro version at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That's smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Our thanks to PDF Pen for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Uh, I meant to ask you: Are you running uh, dark mode in Mojave? No, not not at the moment. Yeah, um, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> it was a novelty, and then I got tired of it. I think it's going to be more useful on, on iOS, honestly. Um, because yes. when it's late at night and I'm lying in bed, um, I really want my phone to be darker. Uh, so. Probably. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, so much of iOS is still just like huge panels of yeah. white, you yeah. know. But uh, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up today talking about oh, iCloud. Oh boy. And specifically, <laughs> oh, no. so, some iCloud issues uh, that you are you are experiencing. So I think uh, I think you like probably a lot of our listeners use iCloud on your iOS devices, on your Macs, having it be the glue between all this stuff. Uh, but you have run into a little bit of a problem. Yeah, and it's the worst kind of problem, a uh, tech problem, in that it, it it happens randomly. It's impossible to reproduce uh, with by following specific steps. It just happens sometimes. And of course, when you need to explain to somebody that you're having an issue sometimes, that is really hard to do. Because again, you don't have instructions to repeat the problem. Um, here's what happened. So for the past two weeks and a half, three weeks, um, I've been having some random iCloud issues. Things like HomeKit didn't think that I was home while I was at home. And so some automations kept running, like my motion sensor kept sending me notifications because it detected motion because nobody was home, but I was at home in front of the motion sensor doing the, oh, doing awesome. the motion. Uh, <laughs> or... I love that or, sort of problem. Yeah. It's just like, you, it's like this technology is so smart, but it's so yeah. dumb at the same yeah. time. Um, or um, some other issues involving like my iPhone uh, didn't tell me that it hadn't backed up for four weeks. For the, for the past month, my iPhone was not backing up to iCloud and it didn't tell me. And, and then I started noticing that some reminders that I had previously changed on one device, like changing the due date of a reminder, was not mm -hmm. syncing to other devices. So I, after a few times that this happened, I went like, wait, I just did that a few minutes ago on my iPhone. Why is it still here? And at that point, I realized, oh, something is really wrong <laughs> because all, all these things that have been happening are connected together. So something is definitely wrong. Um, so, you know, debugging iCloud is a nightmare uh, because for obvious reasons, Apple likes to keep things simple and invisible. There's no like pretty log that you can f see like like a something that is easily viewable or you know displayable right. on ios uh you can capture logs but it's a really geeky thing to do and uh, they're basically unreadable unless you're an apple engineer um so i started doing what everybody recommends doing first off um 
the, the main issue appeared to be reminders because I had like entire sets of reminders out of sync between my iPhone, iPad, and Mac and iCloud.com. Um, I started by turning off reminders sync in, in iCloud, you know, on multiple devices and re-enabling them one at a time after, you know, resetting my uh, reminders on iCloud.com, sort of bringing back individual devices uh, one after the other. That didn't work. So I tried to sign out of iCloud, which is a really disruptive procedure in that it's it's, it is. <laughs> everything breaks. Basically. Everything breaks. Everything breaks. And it asks for confirmation. You get emails. You get two-factor authentication stuff. Um, but, I, but I did that. I did that on my Mac, did it on my iPhone and my iPad. That also didn't work. Uh, because after a few minutes that everything was back online, stuff was not syncing. Um, I, what else did I do? I um, reset all my settings. Um, so needed to start from scratch, changing all the little set- settings that I change on my iOS devices, like my date format or how my contacts are sorted. All I needed to redo them all because I reset the settings. Um, I restored all my calendars and all my reminders from a backup. This is something that you can do on iCloud.com. It basically erases all of your reminders and calendars, removes all sharing information, and recreates them based on a backup that is available on iCloud.com. That didn't work. Uh, The only thing that worked for me, I was able to fix the iPhone backup situation by deleting an old backup actually deleting all previous backups uh, and starting one from scratch. Um, uh, a reader on Twitter told me that something was probably like, like, a, like a random file was causing the backup to fail. And that seemed to be true because after wiping all my previous backups, I did one from scratch with like 80 gigs of data to upload to iCloud, but that worked. So backups are now fine. But reminders are still not syncing reliably across devices. And yes, I did what you're probably thinking right now, you dear listener are connected. Did you file a raider? Yes, I did. And I'm at the point where I got an Apple employee to look at my sysdiagnose log from my iPad, and I still don't have a solution for this. Literally, the, the next thing to do would be to drive to Craig's house and, and, and say, I, I did everything that you possibly wanted me to do. And there's nothing more for me to try. There's nothing else for, else for me to try. Um, so also, I didn't mention that I, I updated to the latest iOS beta because I thought I'm on the stable track. Maybe by doing a full software updates, you know, maybe it removes caches or it flips, you know, all the right switches and, and things are going to clear because it's a software update. You know, that also didn't work. Um, so... I'm at a loss here. There's nothing more that I can do. Uh, I've done everything. There's Apple employees are now looking into whatever is wrong with my device. Um, it's a nightmare. And it's also, it's even worse because I really like reminders. And I don't want to go back to using a third-party task manager because I like dictating my reminders to Siri. I like using my HomePods. I like using GoodTask. Um, I really don't want to switch. 
So now I'm using reminders and effectively managing my to-dos twice on multiple devices. It sucks. It's terrible, but it's, you know, I don't, the, I don't want to switch. So I hope that, you know, if you're an Apple en- engineer, um, there's a, I don't know, Stephen, can I put the radar number in the show notes? Is that allowed? Just the number? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- there will be yeah. a radar number in the show notes. Uh, you will find my log. If you work at Apple, please look into it because I'm going crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> like standing at the edge of the ocean and just like screaming. Like. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, fun fact, fun fact, Stephen. Um, you can capture sysdiagnose logs on iOS. You need to press volume up, volume down, and power or side or top button. Three buttons all at once. Wait 10 minutes. Go into settings, privacy, analytics, data. You're going to find the sysdiagnose file. For me, it was a 200 megabyte file, which took a while to upload via Safari. Um, Also, interestingly, I was not able to send, and this is totally ironic, I was not able to get that. That sysdiagnose file is a .tar.gz archive. It's a heavily compressed Mm -hmm. uh, archive. I was not able to copy that to the files app because it was not showing up in the in the share sheet. I needed to <laughs> I, need, I needed to Come on. I needed to use I needed to use a third party app to send it there and then from Safari from the bug reporter UI in Safari um pick the you know it was read all documents pick the the location where the the sysdiagnose was. So whole nightmare all around. I've been in the situation I had something similar to this with notes probably two summers ago during the beta where I would have notes, but more specifically notebooks come back from the dead. So like I, I have, a, I have, I'm looking at notes now. I probably have 20, 25 notebooks in, in the notes app and I create them and destroy them sort of as things go along. So I'll make one for a project and then I'll archive those notes or put them elsewhere. If I don't need them, I'll just get rid of them. And I'd have these like zombie notebooks come back and sometimes they'd have notes in them, and sometimes they didn't. And, you know, you file a radar and you get in touch and, you know, maybe eventually someone figures it out. But iCloud needs some sort of way for Apple, at least, or or someone to go in and, like, hit a reset button, right? Like, just reset Federico's reminders database. And then, yes. <laughs> and then it's up to you to say, okay, the phone is the, the master record. I want yeah. this to go everywhere else. It's just like, you know, OmniFocus does this. If you... And so OmniFocus on a new device and set up sync, it asks you, hey, do you want the stuff on the server or do you want local stuff? Do you want to merge them? Like, what do you want to do? And iCloud, even if it's not user accessible, but like you could call AppleCare support or talk to a developer via radar and say, hey, I need you to do this. And they just do it. That would be really great. And like you are in a privileged position that you're famous in this world. And so like your radar may get looked at you know, more rapidly than someone else's because someone follows you on Twitter or works on the team or something, who knows? Um, you know, Tim Cook is just having espresso down the street and say, Hey, fix my reminders. And he does it. Sure. But this sure. is why I think Apple needs this for like regular support people. So if, if you could just call Apple care, chat with them online and said, Hey, my reminders have fallen out of sync. They have some way to just kind of reset the clock and make it all work again. Maybe that does exist and I'm just not familiar with it, but I know with my notes thing, I sort of had to do what you had to do is like I had to kind of make noise publicly and then someone noticed. And that's not that's not a viable solution for 99.9% of Apple's customers. So I'm, I'm sorry you're having trouble with it. This sort of thing doesn't mean nervous. Like it seems like reminders 
um, you know, a lot of apps build on top of reminders, like uh, Good Task and others. And like, I would be really hesitant <laughs> to try those uh, just because like reminders seems to be kind of an older part of iCloud maybe. And like, doesn't, it doesn't quite seem to behave all the time. Godspeed, my friend. <laughs> Godspeed. <laughs> yeah, it's really too. Yeah, thank you. I, I, there's nothing else I can do at this point. So um, I did all the things that people told me to do, uh, both randos on Twitter and friends privately. I've done it all, and I'm just waiting at this point. I think that does it. I think that was a. Uh, we talked about the Mac. We talked about yeah. iCloud. Pretty fun. Pretty fun week. <laughs> if you want to find links to all the stuff we talked about, head over to relay.fm slash connected slash 220. There you can see Federico's radar number. Uh, but you can get in touch via email as well. If you have feedback or follow up for the show, send us an email and we get it and we read it and we respond uh, when we can. Most of the, Actually, most of the time I do respond uh, if you're nice. And, you know, it uh, ends up in follow up and feedback so we can keep moving the show forward the way that it is designed to do. You can, of course, you can do that on Twitter as well. The show is there at underscore connected FM. But, uh, I, I've, you know, it's the holidays. I want to keep everybody in a good mood. So uh, you should follow us on Instagram. You can find Federico there at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Mike is there as I-M-Y-K-E. And you can find me on Instagram as Stephen M. Hackett. Those links will all be in the show notes. I like to thank our sponsors this week, Linode, Luna Display, and Smile. Uh, they made this show, this excellent Mac Mini Focus show possible. Until next week, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.